Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. You know, Wilda and I have come to love you all in this short period of time that we've been here, and we love being with you. We look forward every time we get to be with you. I wanted to thank you for who you are and who you are to us and including us in the work that you do. You know, we love, we love small groups, have led life groups, been a part of house church, been to big churches, but I'm used to discussion and feedback in these small settings, and that's what I love the most. <clears throat> and I know today is not the time and place for discussion, but you know, feedback is acceptable and appreciated. What I'm trying to tell you is it's okay to say amen. <laughs> Are you with me? <laughs> Let's begin with prayer. Father God, open our hearts and our minds to you, to your Holy Spirit. No matter what is read or said today, that your word is heard and understood, and bless us as we come together to worship you together, to share our time and our thoughts and that each of us is strengthened in our faith and love for you. Father, we accept the grace and the peace offered to us through Jesus our Lord, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. According to your will, and everyone said, Amen. Okay, I wanted to start with a story. This is a true story, and it, and it happened not very far from where we lived for a long time. There's a small town named Redwater. And that wasn't really too far east from where Wilda and I spent our first 10 years of marriage doing our best to raise children and horses. We lived about five miles from Cookville, Texas. Now I know you probably don't know where that is, but it's on the other side of Mount Pleasant. But it's on Highway 67, and if you go east from Cookville, you will go through a little town by the name of Naples, and then Maud, and then Redwater a few miles before you get to Texarkana. Now, Redwater, Texas began in the 1800s as Ingersoll, Texas. And it was named after a giant of a politician. His name was Robert Ingersoll. He was friends with presidents and well-known people of his time, such as Mark Twain. He was well-liked in spite of his reputation as a free thinker and anti-religious zealot. He would have made a formidable candidate for president except for one thing. He had a well-earned nickname, the Great Agnostic. Yeah. His creed was, and I quote, happiness is the only good. The place to be happy is here. The time to be happy is now. And the way to be happy is to make others happy. Sound familiar? It's the same lie that Satan is spreading today. But you know, Robert Hingersoll's fame died with him in 1899. And in 2012, the Washington Post called him the most famous American no one has ever heard of. But hey, y'all, this story gets much better. In the early 1890s, there was a revival meeting held in this little Ingersoll, Texas. In one week, 110 people were baptized and born again in a little town of only 300 people. That's a third of the population gave their hearts to Jesus. 
The town decided they could not suffer the indignity of being named after a then famous agnostic, so they decided to name it after the new well in town. Now it's not surprising the water was red that came out, so that became Redwater, Texas. I'm sure the Red River, being so close and the connection to the parting of the Red Sea, didn't hurt any. You know, history says that Robert Ingersoll primarily read two books, Shakespeare and the Holy Bible. Odd, huh? I think he missed something in the Bible. Because Matthew 10 records Jesus as saying, God alone is good. Jesus didn't say happiness. But you know, the other three, the place, the time, and the way, I think Ingersoll may be right. But listen to me. Because happiness is just a human feeling while in this body. We're happy one minute, we're sad or angry or disappointed, or sometimes devastated the next. We cannot live in our happy place. There's no room in that end either. There's no happy place, and happily ever after is only in fairy tales. On the other hand, we feel joy, and joy is forever. Joy is when we get what we get when the Holy Spirit lives in us. That's now. Unspeakable joy is what we get when we go to live with the Holy Spirit. Looking forward to that day. And great joy is what we get when we have the opportunity to share Jesus with others. So I have four words for Mr. Robert Green Ingersoll. Have Jesus, have joy. You with me? You missed that clear. Okay. The foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus, infinite God, made Son of Man. He was beaten beyond all recognition, nailed to a cross until he breathed his last, ran through with a Roman sword in front of hundreds of witnesses, and buried for three days. Thoroughly and completely, without a doubt, dead. Everyone said so. The Romans would not have taken him down from the cross if he wasn't. It wasn't just their job. It was their life. He was resurrected by the power of the Spirit of God, and he walked, and he talked, and he ate. And as the disciples watched, he ascended through the clouds into heaven, where he is at the right hand of the Creator of the universe. He's preparing a house for us to live in, instead of these old tents that we're in now. And you know, everybody is, is always wondering and thinking about what heaven is, but the Bible tells us in more than one place, but I love Romans 2.10. It says, Heaven is glory, honor, and peace. I can live with that. So the epicenter of our faith is a resurrection, period. Everything else is sticks and stones, just building material. Now guys, that changes everything about everything for everyone, Jew and Gentile. Beginning with, there is a God. He loves us so much that he went to the ends of the earth just to save us so we can be in heaven with him. And ending with, 
Guys, death is a lie. We live forever. Okay, I'm convinced. I'm in. Now what? I have to get up and do something. That's what? There's a line in a poem that I love that says, God, you don't walk and talk with us like the man you made first. Although you are never far from us, to find you we must seek and search. But Jeremiah tells it plain and simple. Chapter 29, he says, Seek me with all your heart and you will find me. Okay. If we're to seek and walk in the power of the resurrection, the power that raises the dead, we have to grow from where we are in our belief and faith, in our mind and spirit, which affects our thoughts, our words, and eventually our actions to do what we need to do that, we need building materials, sticks and stones. We gather those from the Word. From reading the Word, and then meditating on it as we go about our, our everyday life. From spiritual songs. And you know, we have more access to that than anyone in history. We could listen to them all day long. And from being a part of the body of Christ... So that when we do misunderstand or just plain miss something, there's someone there to help us understand and sometimes to turn us around and point us in the right direction. And we talked about this this morning in class. I have read that this can come from some very unlikely places as well, like out of the mouth of a donkey, Numbers 22. Now, guys. I don't know if you realize this or not, but when your donkey starts talking to you and there's a huge armed angel in front of you, you can be sure you just missed something. <laughs> it's a human trait, though. When you give your life to Jesus and are baptized, He doesn't just download everything you will ever need to walk with Him at one time and say, Here you are. Sort it out. You will need all this someday. We talked about that this morning, too. It doesn't happen. He gives it to you as you need it, doesn't he? I was baptized right here in 1965. I think it was 1965. I think the minister's name was Luke Shira. Some of you may remember him. I don't know. I remember the day very well. The person doing it to me, not so much. And after that, I was given another King James Bible. I didn't understand that one either. <laughs> but God has been gentle and kind and patient with me all in His time, repeating lessons over and over again. Probably know what I'm talking about. But you know, He did get my attention a time or two. Never quite as drastic as the donkey back talking, never been swallowed by a fish. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> but you know, He probably wanted to. All of us are alike always human. We all want to be warm and dry and fed from the time we hit the ground. That's old horse people talk for being born. And we all mess up. We get it right. We mess up. We get it right. But he says there is no sin that's not common to men. Everybody else in here is feeling the same thing. Another way we all seem to be alike is that we use the things that we do know in this life and have experience to figure out the things that we don't know. Me too. I'm just like you. So, 
You know, I've broken trained horses for many years because I love horses. Being around horses, horse people, one sitting right there. And well, you know, just everything about horses. And mistakes taught me more than the sage advice that I was always offered. So I experienced many scrapes and sprains and broken bones. But after a few years, I learned a host of things not to do from being told, I told you so, and to be able to get out of bed the next day. The one lesson I hope to take to my grave, though, and I want to tell you about, is that I learned over the course of breaking colts that the cowboy way Maybe I need to explain that. That's where you rope them, you tie a foot up, you put a saddle on them, you get on them, and you turn the rope loose. It's not a good way. It's rough. Anyway, to go into it a little softer, a little slower, it makes life much better for all involved. It was reinforced later with a little sentence I heard. kind of explains all of it. Wish I'd have known it earlier. Horses and cattle are like human beings. You can put that in whatever order you like. <laughs> Go at them loud and rough, and they react the same way. Now, God knew about horse and human whispering before the beginning of time. God created everything we see and everything that we don't see. And it's all made in His time and His image. We can see God everywhere we look. He can be loud, but He seems to prefer to whisper. Ever read 1 Kings 19? Now Elijah was apparently still learning to listen to God, but he was on the mountain hiding, and the wind hit, the earthquake shook, the lightning struck, and Elijah stayed put. But when Elijah heard the soft whisper, he got up, put on his coat, and stepped outside to see what God had to say. God's nature is quiet, gentle, and loving. Remember the garden when he walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the quiet of the evening? All earthborn respond to kind and gentle. Until we start making our own rules, going our own way, and we start deciding for ourselves what is right and wrong and good and bad, then that likeness starts looking like someone else. I don't have to tell you who. Thank you, Lord, for the blood that covers us all. You know, we do not have liberty of deciding what's right and wrong or right or wrong or good and bad. In our world today, I have to stop and ask myself pretty regularly, am I listening to the wind and the earth-shattering news or going quietly about my day listening for the gentle whisper and focusing on what God has put in front of me that day? Sometimes I don't want an honest answer. Back to the round pen. When I was training horses, I had a lot of time to think because the way you train horses is the exact same way we learn, repetition. Round and around and around and back again. The way of all earthborn. <clears throat> so you naturally start by building a trust relationship. Sounds a lot like God and us. The trainer must have a plan and a purpose. God has a plan and a purpose for each one of us. So the horse must be in a place where he is safe, but he is also free. Or as free as you can be in a 40-foot round pen filled with sand. God places us where we need, need to be to learn the things we need to know. The horse has learned to react to body language from all the other horses he's been with. We call that pecking order. So I use that to tell him I'm in control. 
That is taking something that he already knows to teaching something he doesn't. My position in this pen in relation to his, you see, and you see this all through the Bible. When God shows anyone who he is, then they know who they are. That's like we talked this morning, having an encounter with God. And it changes you. Remember Peter? When he realized who Jesus was, he fell to his knees. Or when he was in the boat in the storm, he jumped out of a boat in the storm to be next to Jesus. Well, the horse will soon learn that the safest, most comfortable place in his world is right next to me. Everywhere else is work and sweat, and he's not getting anywhere, and his situation is not changing. Sound familiar? My life, too. I found out the best place for me was as close to God as I could get. Everywhere else was just not good. The next step, then, in the horse training process, and in our process, too, is applying pressure. God applies a pressure to us. In the round pen, it's as small a push as possible to get a response, starting with my hands on the horse's side where my feet will soon be. The horse learns to move away from pressure. Trust is built day by day, and a relationship is started to form, just like God treats us. And I think this was of Spanish origin, but I just heard it in English is all. The tempo of all earthborn is the tempo of creation. You see it all over the earth if you're looking. James 3 says that we put bits in the mouths of horses to control them, but he's talking about your tongue, the hardest thing in the world for us to control. And a bit is a real harsh reprimand. Ever watch the old western movies where they're jerking the horse around and and the horse is fighting a bit, it can be used pretty harshly. Well, okay then, flip that over. Watch a reining horse competition. That's really a misnomer because the people riding the reining horses in the arena, you notice, never are touching the reins. The reins are rarely, if ever, used. Some horses can go through entire patterns without even a bridle. Or watch a dressage competition. I'm not, dressage is probably not an everyday word in Clifton, Texas, but you know what it is. The rider is controlling every footstep where the horse puts every foot and maybe even every muscle, every movement anyway, with rarely a cue from the reins. <clears throat> Wouldn't you love to have that kind of relationship with God through the Holy Spirit? I know I would. This must be the kind of relationship the great men of faith had with Father God in Hebrews 11. They are there to be our heroes of faith and strength, to give us encouragement. When you look back over your life, whether you're 15 or 85, do you see God's hand when He nudged you, pushed you a little bit, or the Holy Spirit whispered in your ear? Or maybe even when something really bad could have happened or was about to and he put his hand in front of you and said not yet, not yet. Do you see times when you recognize his voice or urging to do something you were really uncomfortable with 
but we're becoming more and more willing to step up and say, here I am, send me. Me too. I can see times of all of these. Some of the times I definitely did not recognize at the time, but later they stood out pretty clearly. On that note, the way things are going in our world today, I think the Holy Spirit is pushing believers and their walk with God to at least a trot. 1 Corinthians 12 says that we're all given the Spirit to drink. Now, doesn't that seem like an odd word to talk about the Spirit of God drinking? But you know, we drink all day and we wake up at night to get a drink. We have to drink to live, you know. So every thought, every decision, every question, every problem should make us thirsty for the Spirit. So drink from the Spirit. Every place I put a foot before I make a move. Because I want joy, peace, love, and the whole rest of the list. And I want whatever He wants to give me from that other list too. Galatians 5 says that we live by the Spirit, so we must keep in step with the Spirit. So I need to drink of the Spirit and keep in step with Him. Yes, the Holy Spirit is definitely a Him. It's not an it. Jesus says it four times in two verses in John 16. Okay, so this will going to take effort on my part. Have you ever watched the Marines march? Looks like hundreds and hundreds of guys perfectly and step through rows and rows. It must take lots of time and lots of work, but they make it look easy. Remember the heroes of our faith? Look at the unbelievable things that they stepped out and did at times. I bet there's stories in both places. I would like to hear all of Elijah's. Okay, so the theme is it seems to be a lot of work. But think of the load it takes off. Problem? Drink. Need? Drink. But think of the rewards. His our seal, our mark for heaven. Heaven is our goal. The resurrection is our way. The gifts, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, Prophecy, distinguishing spirits. Oh, when I read this, I always think of Acts 4. I can't remember. Was it Lystria? That Paul looked at the crippled man and saw that he had faith and he was healed. Speaking in different tongues, interpretation of them. And the fruits. I always think of the fruits as a horse that's finished. He's ready to go to the show or he's ready to go back to the owner. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And then there's gentleness and self-control. I want those the most. Okay, we're going back to Drew for a minute. Remember the layered circle that Drew draws on our whiteboard? The smallest inner circle is our heart, then our mind, then our body, and the outer circle is our soul, our soul of being who we are, who we were created to be, who we will be, and all forever. 
I will not be an angel or a member of a giant choir. I will be me, only without all the earthly baggage. You don't get to take any of that. You wouldn't want to. And I won't have any questions. Just that alone. No questions. It means I'll know a whole lot more then than I do now. Jesus told the disciples that when he saw them again, they would rejoice. That means having joy. And no one could take away their joy, and they would no longer ask anything. I take it that means they know. You know, that would be worth letting myself be trained and worked here in this round pen we call earth. I'm in. The foundation, again, of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is the giant of unbelief for the world. The world does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. There are Christians who question it. You know, and if Satan ever sees a crack and he puts it in your mind, read 1 Corinthians 15. Paul pretty well nails it down. He says there were still even people alive when he was writing the letter that had seen the resurrected Jesus when he appeared to the 500. It's just like, there they are, go ask them, go talk to them. And then there's Jesus. I think I will believe the one person that came to this earth that could heal the sick, turn water into wine, cast out demons, raise the dead, and even pass this trait on to common people. Some of them are fishermen. And then there was a tax collector. Roman 1 says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen and being understood from what has been made, so men are without excuse. This means that even if you had never heard about God, everything around you is showing you that there is a God and that you should start in search of Him. Ephesians 4 says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You know, some of us need more grace than some of you others. And I'm glad he said, okay, this one's going to need a little more than this one's going to need. And he gives it to us, whatever we have need. doesn't matter. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He ascended means that he also descended to earth. In the lower regions, they call it. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order, don't miss this, in order to fill the whole universe. Well, our Jesus fills the whole universe. And I'm going to stop this message with that word picture. If the giant of unbelief fell for you today and you want to give your life to Jesus or re-give your life to Jesus or have any other needs or requests, we have come to the part of the service where we sing an invitation song. We call it that because everyone and anyone who has a need is invited and encouraged to go to an exit where a deacon or elder is waiting to help you. After the song, we will close with a scripture.